depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same page, safe place, therapy is great, and this ain't the same, but we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. Hey, 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 Sunnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. And by cool people, I mean, you know, you've got issues, I've got issues, but like, why can't we find a way to laugh about it? What's so bad about that, right? Also, uh, I'm Katie Dahl, in case this is your first time here. Hey, thank you for being here. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice. Shockingly, I am not a doctor. I'm just a person who's very passionate about your mental health. So I'm glad to have you here. And I'm just here purely to make you feel less alone and maybe feel a little silly about it. Today, how am I feeling? I feel like the world is on fire, but that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to be happy. You have to figure out a way that joy can still exist even in this darkness, you know? You got to figure out where that joy is, where you can find it, and then shine it bright. I'm telling you, it doesn't help anyone if you are stifling your happiness in order to feed into this negative news cycle and into this negative social media stuff. Shine your light so that the rest of us can really enjoy it and we can remember that there is still a reason to have hope in this world. I think that is so important. And also, I mean, obviously, if you get too caught into negativity, you're going to get into a downward spiral. And if you've got mental health issues, you know, that's not really a great place to exist. So yeah, I guess that's my little soapbox for today. But I I hope that that resonates with someone out there because I think the most powerful thing that I've been able to do for myself as far as my own negative thoughts is I'll see a negative thought like, oh, I'm not good enough. And instead of continuing to repeat that in my head, what I try to do is transform that into a different thought. So instead of saying, I'm not good enough, I can say, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best at this and this and this. And even if I don't actually believe it, just saying it to myself makes me feel a little bit better. So that's a start. And if it's your first time here, please don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We have a private Facebook support group at facebook.com slash group slash crying behind pod, Insta and Twitter at crying behind pod. Uh, and the website for when you're done listening is cryingbehindpod.com. That has all of the episode guides. So after you listen to this great chat today, then you can take a look at the resources we talked about, whether that's a book or a video or a certain psychological technique. <laughs> you know, it'll be there. And yeah, let's get to today's episode. So This is a really exciting episode for me because I actually went to go talk to someone in person. Oh my God. Before you clutch your pearls, I just want you to know both of us got tested negative for COVID and we're quarantined before we got together. So do not at me. And also trigger warning for today's episode. If this is not something you want to hear, I just want to make sure to keep you all safe. So trigger warning, sexual assault 
eating disorders and also drug usage, but not like bad drugs. I don't know. I guess it depends on what you think qualifies as a quote unquote bad drug, but we talk a lot about mushrooms and weed and other psychedelic drugs. So anyway, if any of those things are not your jam, please go back and look at the many other episodes that exist. There are other ones that don't mention these things. So today on the show, we have Andy Bolt. She is a writer on the new Netflix Guillermo del Toro show, Wizards, Tales of Arcadia. And she was also a writer on MTV's Mary and Jane. And she considers herself to be a creative lifestylist. So this is a long combo. I didn't really want to cut it down too much because I just... I love the way that the conversation flowed, and I think a lot of you might get a lot out of it. So just buckle up, relax the hot cup of tea, maybe a joint, who knows, and enjoy. I visited Andy in Joshua Tree, where she's been staying this summer on a spiritual and creative solo retreat. On this episode, we talk about how she healed her trauma and her eating disorder with the help of psychedelic mushrooms, what it was like to work with legends like Guillermo de Toro and how she views life like a video game and she's just constantly leveling up so for any of you gamers out there I think this will be a really fun listen and I guess that's all all right enjoy hey guys welcome back to crying behind sunglasses uh I'm your host Katie Dahl obviously uh so today it's really exciting because this is the first episode I've done in person with someone. This is, yeah, you're hearing snaps from a mysterious person. Well, I guess not so mysterious because you already clicked on to listen to this episode. Thank you. Uh, but Thank this you. is someone I've no- known for, for a very long time and mm. is just a close friend of mine. She is a comedian, a writer, a creative lifestylist is what she told me that she yeah, is also yeah. now. Her name is Andy Bolt. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Oh, I mean, you know how it's going with me. I have the privilege of staying you, here. I <laughs> feel like being in your presence right now is like a sponge soaking in light. Ooh. You know, you're like letting it all in. Like, I'm the sponge or are you the sponge? You're the sponge. Ooh. No, I mean, your life right now is like so much light is coming at you, mm-hmm. but you're catching it with grace, just like a sponge might, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're yeah. like a happy little glowy SpongeBob right now. Like, I was gonna, his his life is like always happy, but you have just been glowing lately, you know? Total glow. <laughs> Total glow. So it's good to be around people when they're glowing, you know? Thank you. Yeah. It's been different for me because I think... In the past, I dealt with so much struggle and I think shame around whatever I was struggling with internally. Mm. And I think a huge part of letting go of all of that, which I didn't predict, was that now I've made room for these lighter emotions and these lighter feelings because I'm just able to let it go by speaking out loud. I can let it go. So when I can just post somewhere or talk somewhere about like, yeah, I've got anxiety. Yeah. I take medication for it. You know how freeing that is? You know, what's one of the quickest ways to get rid of the dark (laughs) is to shine some light on it. There you go. We get these fears. I got to tell you, I uncovered a fear recently that Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was carrying. And I've been carrying this for so long. What were you afraid of? And when I finally 
had a great conversation mm-hmm. with one of my producers for my documentary mm-hmm. about my mother having cancer. Yes, the documentary, by the way, it's not out yet, but it's called Wow Mom. It's called Wow Mom. It will my be. mom, who played a bunch of Warcraft after she had cancer and somehow started doing really well. And I wanted to ask why. And I went down that rabbit hole for seven years. One of my producers is this. Two of my producers are this lovely married lesbian couple. So I have this great example of a positive lesbian relationship in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I think they kind of knew I was queer like before I did. So they've been so gentle with me as I like trip over my truth, like trip back, boop, back, you know. (laughs) But one of the things I realized is over COVID, I went home for COVID and I had just finally like admitted to myself for real that like I'm queer. You know, and that was like to yourself, to myself. Mm-hmm. I had finally, you know, oh yeah, I love all beings. Yeah, that does feel in alignment with who I am. Mm-hmm. That does feel more like my truth. And what came with that was this fear of, oh no, what are my parents going to think? Because even though they're very open-minded yeah. and I had a lot of hope, you know, they're Trump supporters. Yeah. So. I went home for COVID. I came out to my mom. She was so great about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So this huge weight fell off. I come out here to the desert and I'm like trying to work on this documentary. Like what is my emotional problem with this documentary? And one of the things, one of the many things, this very cathartic project, like you've mentioned making a documentary is I realized I said out loud to like, I was on the phone with my producer and I was like, you know, Fash, I just, um, (laughs) there is a part of me that thought, My mom was so on the edge of death that if I told her I was queer, I'd kill her, you know? And you were going to like, you were going to shock her so much. Yes. I had got, and when you speak that out loud, doesn't that sound irrational? Doesn't that sound like a little crazy? And Fash goes, you literally just said, if I was going to be my true self, I think I would kill my parents. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know, isn't that crazy? And I started like laughing and crying at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I realized that sometimes we have these fears that we don't want to look at because we're so scared of them. Mm -hmm. We think they're too bad. We will go our whole life repeating patterns, not wanting to look at this fear thing. Mm -hmm. But when you actually go look at it, it is so goofy and lame. Mm -hmm. It's so ridiculous, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's like... Karen Greenberg, our mutual friend, she calls it diving into the tsunami. As soon as you see fear, you just go head first into that unafraid. You just go like, yeah, what are you doing here? I made you. I made you. I am one with you. That's the sequel. That's when the baddies become a part of the team. You mean, so the baddies, by the baddies, you mean, because I remember earlier today you were talking about Making friends with the demons, right? So everyone has inner demons and everyone has this darkness instead of denying it, trying to push it away, making it your enemy. You say, oh, hey, come hang out. Come on this journey with me. Right? Yeah. You could say we're doing that as a society right now. Mm -hmm. It's just not going like that pleasant as you just said, like, hey. Well, I mean, we'd love for it to be that pleasant. Yeah. Like, (laughs) hey, cops, come over here. Let's just talk about this. Let's like figure it out. You know, like that is an alternate avenue that we just haven't taken yet. Mm. But I'm seeing that we're heading into this world where people are being people who didn't want to take a spiritual journey. People who didn't want to evolve for lack of a better say. People who wanted to like settle with a world that was average and just be like, you know what? Working 40 hours a week is just what I have to do. I have to work this job I hate so that I can have time on the weekends. Well, those people who didn't want to look at whatever their fear was for why they didn't think they could be their full true selves. Cause none of us want to work for a job we don't believe in. Yeah. So 
those people, I feel like the gift of COVID is now they're all stuck at home with their feelings. They got to sit with them. Now they're having to look at them in a new way. And I think you look at them long enough, you start to understand them. You start to become friends with them. You integrate them. And that's why I was saying, I think when you look at us like a consciousness, a singular consciousness, what I like to put out into the world, what I would like to manifest is that we finished our first movie, which was everything in the human world up until this point. And then now we're headed like into the sequel where, and so is it like a good sequel or is it one of those sequels that nobody wanted? I want it to be a sequel. That's a parody. This is what I like to write. What if that horror movie was a ridiculous comedy and instead of everything going wrong, what if everything was going right? Ooh. Have you ever heard of that? Like Abraham and Hicks once I, when I hear something said, that resonates and rings in my chakras, I go, that must be truth for me. Mm. Truth for everyone's different. It's relative. But I go, that must be truth for me. I'm supposed to look at that. I heard Abraham and Hicks say, once you get into the vortex, once you get into that slippery, slidey stream where you remember that you're light, where you remember you're a God, where you're one with God, where like you're creating your own reality mm-hmm. and you're manifesting it and things are going well. You know, you see people have like links of really great, you know, years. Mm-hmm. And she said, you can get into that vortex and you can stay there for mm-hmm. many lifetimes. She's like, you can get it. You don't have to keep thinking about what do I want? It's like, no, trust that you already wrote the story before you came in. Mm. You're the lead of your movie. Get off book. Don't think about your lines. Speak from the heart. That's your script. You're the number one cast, but you also directed it and you, you know, you are, you are directed it. So like love, learn to love everything that's around you. And if you don't love it, find out why you don't love it immediately and then alchemize that. Then be living in the world where you're surrounded by things that you love and people you love. Yeah, you I, know? Love, I love that alchemy also because yeah. it's, um, I think everyone being forced to sit at home with their feelings, myself included, um, it's a painful process, but it's necessary yes. and it's, it's good because you are alchemizing these things that felt so dark and you have to, in order to just survive... In the day-to-day, you have to figure out a way to turn that into something that is light. And you can't do that unless you actually sit with it. We're all being forced to sit with it. You want to hear something nuts? Mm. The universe forced me to sit with my feelings a few Mm -hmm. times. I had that surgery for endometriosis and PCOS. Okay. And I had a bad allergic reaction after the surgery. So they didn't know what I was allergic to. So I had to recover from the whole thing without any drugs. And I was like alone. I couldn't even have my eyes open, you know? So I was having to meditate through the whole thing and believe that meditation can save me. Mm -hmm. Because at first I got suicidal. I was like, oh man, that would be so great. And then I go, oh my God, if we commit suicide, we're going to hit restart I could just feel that that was true. Mm-hmm. I could feel that all those lessons I learned, I was going to have to play those levels again. And then all of a sudden it was like, that must be why we're making a documentary about video games. So I can understand the gamification that I can co-create with the divine as if it is a video game rigged in my favor. What about when I heard somebody say that many times and it resonated as truth? I asked myself, what if that actually is true? Could I believe that? Mm-hmm. Could that be a belief I carry? Then you carry that out into your world and your world changes. Because what are video games? When something grabs your attention in a video game, you're supposed to go check it out. And you're never worried that you're not going to be safe. Mm. You know that you have everything that you need. Even if you die, you got an extra life. 
but you can be present and feel safe because safety begins on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's safety, so powerful. And we lo- what did COVID teach us? That safety was an illusion. Mm. All these people who had insurance or this or that or that job that they definitely were always going to have. They sacrificed their passion, Katie, mm-hmm. because they betted on a job mm-hmm. that they were promised was going to take care of them. That was maybe even a government job. But everything's crumbled. Now. And everything's crumbled. Mm-hmm. And now we all got to learn that, holy shit, safety begins on the inside. Mm-hmm. Then maybe I don't need to buy all that shit and pay for all that backup emergency stuff that I used to go tell people to buy. You know, right. I used side. to be on the other side of this consciousness. Yeah, because you were doing Bunker Buddies, which was an apocalypse prepper podcast. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then... Now it's like, oh, we don't need that anymore. We're ready here. We're I, ready. I look back and I go, yeah, I'm really responsible. I take a large responsibility in this apocalypse because mm-hmm. I've been thinking about the apocalypse my whole life, knowing it was going to happen, <laughs> making visions about it, writing movies about it, doing podcasts about it, diving into it. So you brought and it into existence. Do you know what the fear wants the most? Mm-hmm. For us to be fascinated with it, for mm-hmm. us to make art out of it, for us to worship it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And I romanticized it and Mm -hmm. I created this relationship with it. And I identified as a nerd and this, and I monetized my obsession with the walking dead, like dead zombies. Why am I obsessed with this? Yeah. Why? Because zombies were what I was living on inside all the time. And that's what mushrooms showed me. Was it the reason I was obsessed with all those zombie things was because I had them on the inside with me. Every day. So you had zombies inside of you. Every time a thought said, you're not enough, that was like a whole monster that I had to fight and figure out Hmm. how to murder something. Wait, so, okay. I got to go back. I love this because I just love personifying the stuff that's inside of us. This is really fun. Isn't it? Uh, So you're saying that basically, because the definition of a zombie is an undead person, right? Or an undead being? I look at... So there's many metaphors of zombies. Okay. That's what's great about sci-fi. Every sci-fi writer makes it its own metaphor. Okay, but for you? For me, it used to be one thing, and then it completely changed inside out, and I saw myself in the zombie, and I saw that those zombies were dark memories mm. from my past that I hadn't let go. And they were coming back. They were and coming they back were, to haunt you. Yes. So like Trump starts running for office and there's all that Me Too stuff in the news. There's mm-hmm. rape all in the news. All of a sudden I'm thinking about all my rapes again. Mm-hmm. Zombies. I can't sleep now. Now I'm talking about in therapy all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and it feels like something coming at you and dragging you down. Mm-hmm. And it's like no matter how many you kill, <laughs> they keep getting back up. Because I realized I was fighting them. I was witnessing them. I was giving them a stage. I made a whole show about them. I paid my rent with them, you know? And I realized, oh my God, I got to figure out how to make art without needing my pain. Yeah. And and that's kind of scary because you've been doing it the other way for so long, right? So that's hard. I actually want to say- learned. You were brought up the mushrooms and how they helped you to heal. When was the first time that you discovered that and how- how was that for you? And like, were you going into it from the get go as a healing thing or was mm. it just at first a fun thing? And sometimes people are like, Oh, I'll have a little weed. I'll have a little mushrooms. They don't think about it. Yeah. But then other people are more intentional with it. 
Yeah, so my relationship with drugs started with me as a child and being like on board for the D.A.R.E. program. Like earning the badges. Yeah, I knew the song. No. I was obsessed with it. When I went to high school, I was an ASB president and role model. And I would go to the middle school and I would talk about like, don't do drugs. You don't need them. Love yourself. Bye. You know. Then I moved to LA and I get an eating disorder, mm-hmm. right? And I start hating myself and I'm not understanding my reality. I'm feeling powerless mm-hmm. and I'm in a world I don't know. I start going to doctors to try to find out what this eating disorder thinks about, right? And I go to therapists and I'm not getting the answers that I need. And people are like, Xanax. I take one of those and I feel like I got to sleep for eight days. Yeah, so I was out. like, okay, that's not an answer. And... Then I had all this pain in my body. I didn't know that I had endometriosis and PCOS. Mm -hmm. I was going to doctors and they were saying, it might be endometriosis, but the only way we can understand that is if we give you surgery, but we can only give you surgery if your insurance will pay for it. And it won't unless it's like for sure. Mm -hmm. So then I go misdiagnosed, undiagnosed for years. I have all this pain in my life that I don't understand. My period is like, I'm throwing up multiple days a month. You know, trying to function, trying so to so hide it. There's so many different things happening in your body and so in your many brain things. all at once. And you're, at the same time, yeah. I'm highly functional, crushing work, murdering work, you know, like producing all these shows, doing the documentary and doing eight shows, you know, yeah, like I for the digital. Doing that. There was all this energy and I had zombies I wasn't looking at. And then doctors just weren't giving me the answers I needed. And then I, you know, finally, a doctor's like, look, for your pain, we can give you Vicodin. Again, I couldn't function on that. Then I start writing on the TV show, Mary and Jane. Mm-hmm. The showrunner. Which, by the way, anybody who's listening, great show. Great show. Great people. I love Scout. Yes. So great. I want to share this story because I think it is a story of compassion and connection. Mm-hmm. That is where it is breaking the rules or sliding the rules a little bit, but it's like for the betterment of all. Sure. So you're writing on Mary and Jane. So I was writing on Mary and Jane. On and, MTV, right? And yeah. And I'm in the writer's room and I'm like full sister bursting or something. I don't know. And I've got two heating pads on, one on the front, one on the back. I've got a handful of Advil every four hours, mm. you know? And one of the showrunners pulls me aside. And this is a show about cannabis that's important that we like want to raise awareness for it. And she's like, hey. I also had, you know, problems similar and cannabis is really good for that. And I was like, I didn't want to use cannabis because I didn't want to be high at work. Right. And she's like, I have a vape pen. You can do it in here in my office in the privacy. That way people won't know you're high. I honestly think you're going to be able to be more present. I think you're going to be better at your job. I think you're gonna be able to pitch more jokes if the pain isn't so loud in your body. And I had this professional woman who I fucking idolized. Right. Mm -hmm. Who had a great career, highly functional, and she used cannabis as a tool and as medicine. Mm-hmm. And she was okay, and the world respected her, and she still had work. Mm-hmm. And she opened the gate in my mind of permission that I needed to have from a female because I grew up in a home where I was like, if you smoke weed, you will suck dick on the street and you will die, <laughs> you know? And I was like, I can't smoke weed. And then my first relationship with weed was like at a UCB party. Mm-hmm. I immediately get paranoid and I'm like, weed is the devil. You know, I had weed like a handful of times. And then once my endometriosis and PCOS got so bad to where every day of my month I was in pain and doctors didn't have any answers for me. I said, you know what? Mom, I'm smoking weed. And I had to deal with so much shit for my family. And it felt terrifying. 
I had to say, my dad stopped talking to his own brother because he smoked weed. Oh, when you were a child? No. Oh. As an adult. Really? My Uncle Bill, who is a vet suffering from massive amounts of, like, Agent Orange side effects, right? Yeah, he needs help. He needs it. He uses it as medicine. And my dad got so angry with him. I wasn't there, but apparently the story goes, he got really angry and he kicked him off the property. And when I hear that story in like 2012, 2013, Mm -hmm. and I start needing to use cannabis as medicine, Mm -hmm. and I'm already living in a scary world. I'm already living in a world where like, I'm not attracting the right kind of, I'm not treating myself well. So I'm not attracting partnerships that are well. I'm not attracting positive relationships. So then you feel a little tortured in your world and you've got this family connection and you don't want to lose it. You want to be yourself. You want to heal yourself, but you are terrified that you might lose the people who matter the most to you. No, it's I, I, I understand. And that's an illusion, but I was in a prison of that illusion. You know, I have so much compassion now when I see that illusion playing out in other people mm-hmm. because it is a prison. It is a prison. Yeah. And no. people don't get the healing that they need. Like you were saying, they don't get the healing that they need because of judgment of while they're in that healing process, what other people might do say or think Mm -hmm. and then people won't even consider and i didn't even consider mushrooms until i was 33 yeah until i was 33 and in one mushroom trip one mushroom trip i used it as sacred medicine by Mm -hmm. the way only ever used it as sacred medicine i only went to that once i had done everything else and i had come up fucking dry meditation acupuncture crystals i was like therapy if somebody said it healed them why wouldn't i try it why am I against? What's Jesus doing? Like, why are people always praying to Jesus? What are saints about? Like I told you, I went down the rabbit hole. Why do people heal from praying to saints? What is that science? You know? And so if there's not the science there, I did my own science. Yeah. I put my own dots together. And it's like, I don't need to do the research. I met this one witch. She's this amazing muralist. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, so what do you think we're doing right now as a singular consciousness? As like people on the edge of the, if you get into that slippery state, you will feel the feeling of being on the edge of consciousness. Anybody can be there. And when you're out there, you're co-creating with the singular consciousness, pitching ideas of where the world should go. Mm-hmm. So I'm out there. She's, she's like down to meet me like a goddess. I go, Hey, I want to talk to you like a divine goddess. I want to open up this kind of conversation just for fun. You know, we're hanging out at a pool Beautiful. and she's like, great. Yes. You know, <laughs> And I go, your art looks like you are doing something like Salvador Dali. And I said, my gut says you can consciously shift into a dimension, see something and shift back into this dimension and paint it. And she goes, that's exactly what I do. And she was like, felt so seen, you know, she was like, yes. You know, like when you learn tools of your conscious inner mind of that science of those realms that you can go to, Mm -hmm. When you learn that on mushrooms, that doesn't have to stay inside of the trip. Hey friend, are you like me? Are you an actor who is stuck at home during a global pandemic, panicking and trying to figure out what the next steps are for your career? Well, 
I am really excited to say that I am now sponsored by thrivingactor.com. Thriving Actor is a website that has a lot of resources for you to work on your acting career while you're at home. Networking, branding, building your side hustle to support your dreams, owning your self-tape setup, the list goes on. And this resource has been built by a very good friend of mine, Jordan Ansel. He is an award-winning filmmaker. He has four different shows that are slated to shoot in 2021, and he's also a brilliant life coach. So he's definitely someone who I trust. He has advised me and been my cheerleader throughout the years, even as I was developing this podcast. And as I made different films and different choices within my career, I could always know that I could come back to him and he would have some very sage wisdom to provide. So yeah, again, if you're an artist that is looking for a little more purpose behind what you're doing, a little bit more guidance, check out thrivingactor.com. There are a lot of free resources on there for you to get started. (laughs) Therapy has been such a big tool for me to be able to overcome my anxiety and heal my trauma or honestly just be able to talk to someone who is not my friend, not my boyfriend, not my dog. It is someone who is not a part of my life and can actually give me a valid opinion just a sounding board, you know? So that's why I am super, super excited to share that this podcast is now sponsored by one of the biggest providers of online therapy, BetterHelp. So BetterHelp is one of the largest online providers of therapy. You can get matched with a qualified therapist within 24 hours of signing up. That's fast, y'all. And it's really a dream come true for me to be able to help you help yourself. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod, you'll get 10% off your first month and you will be able to choose a therapist and just get going on your journey of self-care, your journey of wellness. And I want to be there with you. So again, if you want to check that out, it's betterhelp.com, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod. At the time, I was like really open about how I want to stay fit because I was like tired of comedians. But at the time, comedians were owning their schlubbiness and fatness and being like, there was this belief kind of happening, you know, like where it was like, I, I could feel like some men, you, you could see them, they'd be real attractive, right? And then they would like, quote unquote, let go, mm-hmm. add weight, start smoking weed, start drinking beer, start like talking about how much they hate themselves all the time mm. to fit in. Hmm. I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, to me, I'm a little sensitive about conversations about like, oh, like this person's fat and that's bad. No, you know? no, but I, I think, don't think it's bad, but no, it's like yeah. this, it's this idea where you are... Where suffering is a good thing. Where it's like... Oh, like I'm not taking care of my body and I'm bragging about that. And I'm owning how much I'm trashing my body. Is that Yes, because yeah. when okay. people were healthy, we were shitting on them. Okay. You know, like when I would get... I was at the at the comedy store once and I got invited up to the stage. And it was summer. I was wearing a tank top. Sure. I was doing a lot of CrossFit back then. My arms were cut. When I get brought out there, none of my credits... None. Of, I was the one who had the biggest credits on the bill. None of my credits are mentioned. And he just says... Uh, I mean, not that you need that, but instead of that, he where he normally would say people's credits, he said, um, here she comes, 
with her arms, you know, and it was like, he <laughs> couldn't like not mention my arms. You wait, know? wait, wait. So like, I'm going to pretend. So I'm like introducing it. He's just like, yeah. Hey, here comes Andy Bolt with her arms. Oh God. Like if I had, I only wish I had arms like hers. She does pushups. Like it was, there was no joke about it. It was like this weird, I like, dealt with that shit too. You know, where actually, they see something on, yeah. they just see your body and they can't, you know, it's a little bit jarring. Yeah. And because we didn't used to let women be attractive and be funny. Well, you know? it's still, no, it's still, I mean, I've dealt with that so much. Um, not even just from men, from women too, where they tell me like, oh, well, you just care about looking good. You don't care about Ooh, writing jokes. How's that make you feel when they say that? Oh, so mad. Aww. So mad. Mad. What is that anger? Where do you think that's coming from? It's like, from? you don't know me. You clearly don't know me. And you're not seeing me. You're not actually listening. You don't feel seen. You don't feel heard. Yeah. Because it's like, because you're only seeing my body Mm. and you're projecting your own insecurity onto me because you don't feel good about yourself. So you feel like you need to take me down a peg by saying, oh, you only care about looking pretty. It's like, okay, what's first off, what's wrong with wanting to look good? Right. And then also that doesn't negate those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can look good or look bad and also be smart and be funny. Those things can all happen. Like you're saying, where there's men who were, who were saying, oh, I'm not taking care of myself and that makes me funnier. Right? No. Do you think that these, like, these are, this is like trauma you're carrying and you're seeing rippled out in front of you? Mm. Like, think about it. All women, we're all feeling this. As a singular consciousness, this is like a systemic thing. Yeah. Right? Where women, because I've been thinking about this ripple a lot. Because what this feels like is like, we're talking about your own personal thing. But when you go down deeper, I'm like, oh, I think this is the divide in the feminist it's, movement. It, it's internalized misogyny is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Because when I felt it. Look at that awareness. Yeah, no, it was. Ooh. I, I, will I not... can feel that in the back of my neck, Katie. Yeah. You're I will about not... to shift my point of view. Ooh. Yeah, let's hear it. Well, I will not Speak name names. Speak the truth. I will not name names because I am to. not here to do that. But specific woman who I was working with in a, you know, in a comedic way. And wow. I tried so many times to connect with this person, mm-hmm. even though they would say things like this to me. Yeah. Right. Even took them out to coffee and said like, Hey girl, like, how can I level with you? How can we work together in a better way? And there was no way. And it was what I realized was that it wasn't about me. It was about her. It was about her opinion of herself and her opinion of how women should be. And that's when I could let it go. And I could say, I don't want to participate in this anymore. Cause it's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. There's nothing I can do to change it. You know? I mean, so, so you know what I've been doing as my practice? Yeah. As soon as I gain that type of awareness, like even just now where my mind was about to go, but I'm letting you know, cause my mind works kind of like I always have a bunch of screens open. Sure. And I've just accepted that my being is in a lot of places at once. Yeah. And, but I can focus to this right here. What's beautiful about what you just said is like you, I truly believe that that energy that Tesla talks about, about 300 feet outside of the earth, there's like this energy that's just around the planet. Mm -hmm. And that's what Tesla was like. We don't have to charge for energy. It's infinite. You can tap into that. Right. Right. And then spirituality is all about, you can just imagine your light going out of your body, getting that energy and bringing it back down. And that energy is infinite. Also in that, some beings call it the Akashic Records 
where all records of all time and space of the infinite now mm-hmm. exist, mm-hmm. where every answer exists. There's a futurist at Harvard who said, 100 years from now, kids are going to be taught how to go inside for the answers to a test. When I heard him say that, I said, okay, if that's true, if we can really get any answer, if every time somebody grows, like you grow, Mm -hmm. I totally believe that you figured out that puzzle. You, you, you gained that awareness that goes back into the one because we're all connected. And then when some other woman is in the same puzzle and she goes, I would really love to know the answer to this question. It's like, boom, somebody already did the math. It's like when you Google, when you YouTube it and somebody already figured it out. Yeah. I truly believe that we're doing that on an internal psychic level it's, all the time. It's the collective unconscious. And that's why sharing a story is so important. Yeah. Because once you've heard that something is possible, now you're more likely to believe it's possible. Mm-hmm. And once that I let go of that. changes your reality. Yeah. And once I let go of that, then I could start seeking out more female friendships and more female collaborators who just accept me and appreciate me and have no reason to tear me down at all. And you could right? believe that that was possible. Right. And instead of trying to, to fight against this thing, that's clearly not happening. And this person is not, I, I hesitate it's, if they're in a different part of their journey, I guess is the right way to say well, it. Well, it's also about your energy, right? The energy you're bringing to the table. You're not bringing energy to them of there's a part of me that's afraid you might be a total cunt. <laughs> you know, you're going to them with faith, right? You're going to them going, I'm going to bring my best self to you. And I'm just going to trust that you want to do the same. And if you can't, I'm going to be okay with that. And I will flow on and I will learn and grow from this, right. but I will love you every moment. I will choose right. no, I'm not to mad. love wherever you're at. Like, well, no, I'm just saying that's yeah. what you're doing and it's beautiful, yeah. you know? And now I'm sitting in Joshua tree on this beautiful afternoon with How you How and like when Yes, it's beautiful. And when two, when women come together, there's a sacred space that's created, mm. um, or can be if can they allow, be. if they allow it. Yes. And so I really appreciate you talking to me today because I know I, you didn't have to. I so really appreciate you. you coming out here because I could feel the call to needing connection mm-hmm. with the divine feminine. I have my connection with the divine feminine and then you do all this healing on the inside and then you start manifesting outward representations of the healing you just did. Mm-hmm. So you can practice that. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Oh, I felt like I did all this divine healing with my divine feminine because I was mm-hmm. like, if I'm noticing the feminist divide on the outside of me, then there's a part of me that isn't loving my own divine feminine. There's a part of my own feminine that I don't love if I'm witnessing it outside of myself. So then I went in there and I did the math and I did the homework and then I got to come and practice it with you. Yeah. You know, and then I get to see like, yes, this is exactly the kind of girlfriendships that I can have like more regularly in my life. It's healthy and it's so important. It keeps me balanced. You know, I'm holding a crystal right now. This is a rose quartz, but I also did this meditation where I charged it with the energy of Quan Yin. What is Quan Yin? So... In my first mushroom trip, where I healed my eating disorder in one trip. So wait, okay, I don't know if we totally mentioned that. You you healed your entire eating disorder with one mushroom trip. One mushroom trip. And here's why I don't just tell people, go to mushrooms, it'll heal everything. It's because mushrooms and everything in our consciousness uh-huh. is what we created. And Terrence McKenna mm-hmm. said, everything affects our consciousness the way we believe it will. Mm. When I heard him say that, I didn't say, oh, that's true sometimes. I said, what if that's true always? It's a choice. It's a choice. And he said, once you've had a psychedelic experience, 
you can choose to remember the sensation of that and then have a psychedelic experience without having to administer or ingest anything. Cause it's just a memory that you're playing back for yourself. And of. we've proven this through all of our PTSD research. Huh? When people get triggered, they're reliving it and their body starts releasing the same chemicals as when they were being traumatized. Yeah. And Terrence was like, we've done all this science. It works for the positive. It works for the light. Mm. It works for the light. People could do mushrooms once understand the connection always be able to tap into that knowledge. People talk about it. I did mushrooms once and I've been unpacking it my whole life. Yeah. You, you tap into it. Actually I tap into. And then when you that, meditate, you yeah. can time travel. You can. And, and you can go right back anytime. You can do it anytime you want. I mean, if you're in a fearful experience, like I used to have a very bad needle phobia as a child. Mm. Um, I don't know if I've totally healed it, but I've gotten better. Right. Where do you think that's from your karma? Ancestral karma? It's been since I was a baby, so I don't even know. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of kids have that, but I remember, yeah, yeah like I had my, when I had to get my booster shot, for example, I was two or three years old. Mm -hmm. I ran around, I ran out of the office and around the entire building. Terrified. And then they had to pin me down. It was a whole thing. Okay, question. Can I ask you a little bit? Yeah, no, it's fine. What is it about the needle? What is it about the whole thing? I think it's, well, if I had to pick it apart, because when you're a baby, you don't know. Right. It's just like, it's spitballing. The just, it's kind of like a violation of the body, you know, that kind of thing. And just the, um, the idea of the pain instead of what the actual pain is, maybe I'm not sure, but I guess what I was saying about, wow, do you hear that? What the idea of the pain instead of what the pain actually will be. That's fucking snaps. Okay. That's what America's problem is right now. Is they're so afraid of the idea of the Because fear isn't real. The illusion is never real. No. It's never real. No, it's never it's, that bad. It's us being terrified that it could be real. And then all of a sudden we're in it. We're going, see, it was real. And it's like, why do you have to prove yourself right? No. You if we can let go of right and wrong, oh my God, the whole world would change tomorrow. If we just like as a country went, hey guys, what if for a day... No right and wrong. Also, let's all do mushrooms on the same day. So funny. <laughs> so I'll do the same meditation yeah. and do mushrooms. Or smoke weed. But the reason I brought up the blood thing is because yeah. now as an adult, so what I realized once I was like about 18 or 19, I was like, mm. regardless of how afraid I am of needles, I am making these doctors and nurses lives hard. Mm. So I started thinking about them. I started thinking about how this is their job. I don't want to make their job hard, right? And then the other thing I do is I put myself in another place. I don't want to express my fear because it's going to be inconvenient for them. I don't want to express my, you know, well, like no, as I, a kid. It was more of a giving thing. It was more of a like, yeah. I want to give them a good day. I want to you give, them, give them, a them a good day. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was also now what I do if I have to go give blood or draw blood or whatever is that I put myself in a different place. I look away. I say, hey, don't show me the needle. I'm going to look over here. I'm going to pretend I'm on vacation and I'm going to talk it out with you. And so I look over here and I go, I'm in Tuscany. I'm drinking wine. I'm having crusty bread. I'm having olive oil and balsam. I'll just like talk magic, about it. Magic. And magic. my brain puts me there. Mm -hmm. That puts me in my happy place. And that's what you're saying where it's like, yeah, of course we can have PTSD. We remember the bad experiences. But if that darkness exists, so does the light, which is a lot of what you're talking about. You bring in that light and I can just choose to put my brain somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, sure. Someone's putting a needle in my arm. I don't like it, but... I can choose a different experience. You can choose a different experience. Also, when I'm in a situation I don't like, mm -hmm. I go, I'm going to figure out how I can love this so mm -hmm. I'm never here again. Mm. You know, I 
you know, Wayne Dyer says, when someone gets you irritated Mm -hmm. or something like strikes a chord, bow to them and say, thank you, my teacher, and go find out where your self-worth needs some healing. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, when I heard something that was like, dong, that's truth, I just started putting it into practice, Mm -hmm. you know? So why does something... Why does something bother me? Why can't I love it? If our whole world is art, if everything is consciousness, if everything is God and I'm creating my own reality, then when I walk into an art gallery and I shit on something, I'm shitting on my own art. I'm shitting on my own human experience. I'm choosing my life. I believe that. But then I'm a victim of like, oh, I went to this bad restaurant and the meal was bad. No, no, no. If I'm in a bad restaurant, I'm laughing the whole time going, why did I manifest this hilariously bad restaurant? Mm -hmm. I must want the greatest restaurant of all time. And right now I'm going to be really present. I'm going to alchemize everything. Mm -hmm. Right? Like people used to say they have bad dates. You know, I grew up on a ranch isolated. Sure. You know, my best friend was like this super positive Mormon in a wheelchair and everything I wanted, I could get. I want a straight A's, got him. You know, I wanted to be A's be president, done. It was just this weird thing that like life didn't really feel, it felt like magic. Mm-hmm. It felt like that stuff was real. Then I came to LA and I started being really affected by other people's consciousnesses and their fear and stuff. Yeah. Because I had so much compassion for everybody. I felt like I needed to absorb it and become, yeah, that's my belief too. And... Uh, By the way, if you guys hear any uh, little pitter-patter of feet, uh, there's a fly that apparently is scaring my dog, Coco, so she has decided to run away. It's time to go hunt it. Oh, no, she went to you. Hi, baby girl. She was sitting next to me, and now she's sitting next to you because you're her protector. (laughs) Oh, I got you. I will protect you from that fly. She's literally afraid of a fly. In my kingdom. So, I wanted to ask... Oh, uh, yeah, we should wrap up the mushroom thing. Oh yeah. So what led me to mushrooms was my friend, Harrison Brown. Do you know Harrison? Yeah. Comedian. We're both like in our early twenties at IO. Yes. And he, I would have male comics do this to me Uh in comedy communities a lot. They would pull me aside and be like, Hey, like don't tell people this, but like, I know I make a lot of fat jokes about myself, but I want to be fit. I want to have a healthy lifestyle. And I was like, hell yeah, man. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. So then we just created this bond, right? And then as years go by, he used mushrooms for healing. He did all this research. Mm -hmm. And then he saw the the trauma I was growing out of. And he just opened my mind to it. Mm -hmm. And we went camping. And we did a microdose. And he guided me through it. And during this microdose, we were just looking at a fire. And he's like playing a very curated playlist. Mm -hmm. He just taught me that like, hey... When you come across a dark path or a light path, there'll always be that choice for tonight. Just choose the light, just Mm. choose the light. And I'll teach you how you get to choose the light. You're choosing your trip. And he guided me through that. And there was a time where I go, Oh my God, Harrison, that guy you just mentioned is one of my rapists. And I thought it was so funny because I was healing it at the same time. I was like laughing and crying. It was like beautiful. And my friend was like, Hey, we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. And I go, it's a light road. It's cool. Mm -hmm. And then I got to talk about that with my friend and then he gave me mushrooms and I kept them in my fridge for six months. And then once Western medicine goes, Hey, I go, guys, this birth control, I'm thinking about killing myself every day. Like, I can't do this. Yeah. I need new answers. They said, well, you're going to go to a psychiatrist 
We're going to give you drugs to offset the side effects of the... Right. They wanted to put you on antidepressants to do, to fix it. And I, and my gut, at this point, I've been trying to train my gut and my gut said, no. Mm -hmm. And then I go, you know what? I need to do mushrooms for the first time. And I didn't really plan it. But then that's when my partner and I, at that time, he took the first, he was a photographer Mm -hmm. and he took the first naked photos of me I'd ever seen. And for the first time I was looking in my eyes through this looking at myself through this guy's eyes mm. and I saw myself as beautiful because he loved you. And so when he took a photo of you, instead of the way, I, cause you, I don't know, sorry to interrupt you, but like not. with your, with an eating disorder, which I have so many female friends who have gone through that. Yeah. And it's because you have, you have such a, a different way of seeing your body. You have the, you look in the that mirror. That dysmorphia was real. Yeah. yeah. You look in that mirror and you're not seeing what everyone else sees. Right. And right. so then you saw these photos where someone who loves you is showing you how beautiful you are. It was so beautiful, Katie. Yeah. He showed me this picture. My hands were up like this and mm-hmm. I had a big smile and my tiny tits were out mm-hmm. and I started crying and laughing. And mm-hmm. that's when I really know I'm getting some healing done when it's the full eclipse. And I go, Oh my God, Ben, she's, a 10. <laughs> and that was the first time I'd ever said that about myself. I had been discriminated, not cast. It would be down between me and another girl. And they'd be like, would you get a boob job? And I would be like, you know, I'm not against boob jobs, but my gut said like, that's not what we do. That's not what we're doing this lifetime. We pick these tiny titties for a reason, Yeah, you know? And I feel like it's important somehow, you know? Cause where do I start? I got weird freckle patterns. I got so much weird shit going on on my body. If I'm starting with my tits, I could see I was going to go down that path. So then I all of a sudden healed this like trauma I had over my tiny tits, like being called mosquito bites my whole life and oh, stuff. Oh, same here. Same. Yeah. Right. I love your little <laughs> tiny tits. You And I love how you dress too, because it's like, we wear different styles, you know? We do, but it is a struggle. I went through the same thing. I think many women, it depends on what culture you grew up, but at least the culture we grew up in. Yeah. Uh, I saw there was a point in my life where I came to a crossroads of, am I going to get a boob job? You yes. Know? I know the crossroads. And it took me years to heal that. And then I finally said, no. This is my body and I love it the way it is. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want. But that's not to say that someone who decides to do the it's other thing is what was back. right for your journey. Yeah. Women who decide to do the to other me, thing. To me, like it was like a level I had to play multiple times. Yeah. It was like a symptom of my eating disorder, which was mm-hmm. a symptom of much deeper things. Yeah. And so Ben shows me that picture and he sees how happy I am looking at myself. And he goes, you need to do those mushrooms right now. Because the energy going into the mushrooms is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So I had this beautiful home. So safe, mm-hmm. a, a, someone who I felt like I could go there. And then I did the mushrooms from this place of self-love I'd never been in before. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say, yes, it helped me heal. But, you know, not everybody's doing it in that. Some people are like going to a festival and I never done it that way. No, you set the stage in a way where, like you said, you were coming into it in this place of radical self-love. Yes. You're crying. You're laughing. You're seeing yourself as a 10. Yes. For and, the first time ever. And I believe that mushrooms are this tool that mm-hmm. like in Mario, sometimes we can eat them to help us grow. Mm-hmm. And that Mother Earth makes these mushrooms. And every mushroom is so unique. Mm-hmm. One little spore of a mushroom, by the way, can grow an entire community, a whole new community of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And they are all individual. No one the same. And when I look at them as medicine, 
they're bringing you your own individual journey. There's a part of their consciousness and your consciousness that always knew you were going to sync up. And that's why people feel grounded after mushroom trips. They feel synced, you know, and, and it's your own personal relationship with mother earth, with the divine, with the technology mm -hmm. that exists in our world. It is technology. It's no different, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like this beautiful synchronicity can happen if you prepare your mind and your life and your world to create that experience for yourself. Yeah. Right. And that's what I did. I went into my downstairs bathroom at one point. I look in the mirror, but this is a part of my journey because Louise Hay had said, look in the mirror, tell yourself you love yourself. Do a lot of healing by staring into your eyes and giving yourself the affirmations you need. Mm. And so I started practicing that because my endometriosis and PCOS was so bad. I was like, I'm going hippy dippy to the max. I don't care what people think. I had the post-its. I did everything, you know, and so I was in that practice when I was in a part of my trip and I went into the mirror and Katie, I split apart and I saw all these new versions of myself. Wow. I had never seen one girl was like, had wanted to be a rock star her whole life and was one, you know, one girl was on roller skates. I saw versions of myself that are from the future, from the past, from alternate dimensions, all these versions of myself. I've been so afraid to even think about expressing. Mm. But once I saw them and witnessed them and felt them, I saw, I want to play with them. I want to play with new avatars. Mm. I'm not done with this life. I have so many different versions it's, of an avatar I can be. So you're bringing it back to video games. Bringing it back to video games. You choose a new, what do you call it? What do you call it? Metaphor. No, no, no. You talk about your body as if it's a Mech suit. Mech suit. What does that mean? Mech. Oh, Mecha okay. Mechanical suit? Did you ever see Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth? Um, yes. Where a pilot Duh. goes inside of a giant robot. Okay. That's my light. My light is my soul. My light is my spirit. My light is God. Mm -hmm. My light is my divine connection to God. And she is piloting my mech suit. Great. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I'm going to totally do a hard segue because you just brought up Guillermo. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's listening, uh, there's a new show out called Wizards Tales of Arcadia and mm -hmm. Andy is writing on it. I'm a writer on that show about magic. And Guillermo del Toro is, is he the, I mean, what is his role on the show? Is he directing? Executive producer. Executive producer. Yeah. Right. And he like came and worked on all the scripts. You yeah. know, it you was can like, see his touch on everything. Uh, when I looked yeah. at the show, there were a lot of creatures in there that look very similar to Pan's Labyrinth. Right. And it's a very similar world. But One it's of my so favorite exciting. parts about working on that show is just like when you want to take a break and walk around, you can just walk around where all the artists are working. Mm -hmm. And these are all the guys that like Guillermo uses on his other jobs too. Yeah. So that's why he wants to have, he does have a style. He's got a feel. I love that this guy's like, yeah, that was, it feels like Guillermo made it. feels like he touched it. Cause he's got his whole world that he's built and now this he's got this what, thing. Yes. And you, it's, you, I remember you saying it's for kids, but like. I think that anybody could put that on I Netflix and be anybody. entertained. Yes, it is. It's like, um, it's beautiful, Katie, because talk about the mushroom story. Talk about synchronicity, right? Mm -hmm. I do those mushrooms on a Saturday. Yes. That psychiatrist appointment was supposed to be on Monday. So I call and I cancel it. And then that same Monday, mm -hmm. I get an offer for Wizards. Wow. And I'm going to be working on a show about... Magic. I go or I get the interview for us. It was like either I booked it or I got the job. I've, um, I'd have to go back. But I go in and I'm like starting to laugh because I put Guillermo on a like. They said, who do you want to work with in genre? 
right? He's like a Daphilus. Mm. And then I put Shane Black and then I put like, you know, Bad Robot and these different people. I gave to CAA, whatever. And then all of a sudden here I was, right? And my reps are like, look, this is the animation. It's going to pay shit. But the animation guild right now is trying to figure out how to support the writers because right. they haven't figured that out yet. They need to merge with the WGA. And the WGA and the animation guild need to figure that out. And they're doing what our country's doing, which is like, it's too hard. It's going to take time. And it's like, no. we got to start treating everybody as equals, you know? Yeah, I wasn't aware of that because I... I'm not really in that whole professional staff writer world. So I didn't even know that animation was a separate situation than, um, what do you call live action? Yes. Yeah. And it's crazy. There's a bunch of drama there, but they're going to get it sorted. But you, but you are a magical being. You're writing on a show about wizards. So So then I get, I get like, um, this interview and they're like, this is also going to be the retelling of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I start laughing because I'm like, that was my favorite book as a kid. I was so dyslexic. It was really hard for me to read. But for some reason, there were two books I could read real easy. So I reread them over and over. Knights of the Round Table, James and the Giant Peach. And I've always been obsessed with the Knights of the Round Table. Like when I own a company, I'm going to have a round table. That equality. Mm. We're like, we're all knights. We're all in this together. You know, like that. We're all for one kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, that energy I always found to be so, even as a kid, I was like excited about it. So I'm like, yes, I want to retell this story. Mm-hmm. And it's about time travel. So now I'm having to study time travel. I had sort of believed in magic. I had never called myself like a witch. I was like, I had rocks because I always loved rocks, but I didn't understand crystals or energy. And then I do mushrooms for the first time. And I experienced the magic of magic mushrooms. And I go, I just healed when I was in that bathroom and all the versions of me popped out, I get to feel them. They pop in. I see them in the mirror. Another girl pops in. I see her in the mirror. I'm starting to feel all these new characters I could play that are me, right? Yeah. And then they all go away. And the whole bathroom goes dark. And there's this swamp that's terrifying. And there's a version of me that's like the grudge version of me. Like her makeup is like, and she's like, her eyes are like in a swamp. And she's like, we can't go out there. They're going to hate us. She's like, Carrie, she's like, they're all going to laugh See, at this, me. You this know? is why I don't look in the mirror if I'm doing mushrooms. Right. Yeah. You know, but this is why you got to go there. So it's like, it was like Carrie's trauma. And I was obsessed with Carrie in high school. And I sort of manifested a weird version of that story. So it's like. This deep-rooted trauma. But it started to look ridiculous now. She started to look like a cartoon. She was like, we can't go out there. They hate us. And I was like, bitch, did you see all these versions of herself that we haven't even shown the world yet? Like, that girl can sing. That one's on roller skates. Like, we got to go try these out. And then I told myself in the mirror, I said, you can stay here, but we're never coming back. You have been driving our mech suit. I've been letting you drive. Because I was worried about you. Because I was worried you weren't happy. I wanted to take care of you. I wanted to pick you up, but I kept coming back to this swamp when I got way more other worlds. I got to go explore girl. So I was like, you can come visit us, but we out of here jokingly played it out, role played it in the bathroom by myself, closed the door. I felt like I lost 40 pounds. I dropped about 10 pounds within the next couple of days. And I came out of that mushroom trip and I had cried a whole bunch. So all my makeup was gone sure. and I had been take another picture of me. I said, take another picture of me right now. Cause I don't remember that this girl is a 10 just as much as that other girl who was all done up was. Mm-hmm. And 
I healed my eating disorder. That thing they told me I would die with, that thing they told me was impossible, and the doctors had just told me I would never be able to heal my hormonal imbalance, that I was born with it, that that's just how it goes. And once I cured my eating disorder, that thing I'd been trying to solve for 15 years, Mm. I was like, if I can do that, I can fucking do anything. Yeah, you felt powerful. I quit the birth control. I canceled all my things. Then I had two opportunities. One was going to be a WGA job. That was money I needed. Mm-hmm. The other one was going to be this animated show about magic. But it was like, Guillermo del Toro on the show's so good and I really love it. And oh my God, I got to do it. So then I was getting paid to study the history of magic. So when I was getting paid, I wasn't studying it like I was a sci-fi writer. I just said, what if magic's real? Mm-hmm. And I started studying all the history of metaphors and mythos as if it were a metaphor or a clue, or I just played the game of life. And, you know, it's interesting because what you talked about with the way that you went into, when you went into your mushroom trip, you set an intention, right? And I think that it's coming a lot more... To love myself. That had been my intention for years. To love yourself. Yeah. How can I love... I want to love myself. I want to see how much I can love myself. What happens when I do that? Yeah. And I think that's coming into the popular consciousness. Because now we've got meditation apps. Mindfulness. We've got mindfulness. We've got things like that. So many more people are doing therapy. That bubble hasn't even started to burst. That mindfulness bubble, we only get started. Yeah. People are doing more and more therapy. When I got in touch with better help, I remember they told me, they said, you know... We're so overloaded. We've had to hire more therapists because more people want to get in touch with whatever's going on with them. And that's beautiful. There's so much healing more. I think people are more inclined to reach out over the phone if they've been scared of therapy for a long time. Mm -hmm. This is what my documentary is all about. I noticed people were more willing to express their feelings. My mom, who would never go to therapy, Mm -hmm. has this terminal disease, dealing with all this heavy, heavy emotion. I'm like, please, woman, tell someone. Mm -hmm. She couldn't do therapy. She couldn't do that. But you know what she could do? Mm. She could log into Warcraft. She could express to someone in another country what she was struggling with. And they could give her support and love and she wouldn't feel like she was handing them a bad day. Because mm-hmm. she could feel their energy that they could handle it. And when they logged out, they went back in their old life. But she was able to kind of offload, download this, this energy in a way that was healthy for both parties where the other party doesn't then carry it. Actually the other party, when I interviewed them, they always felt like, I love it. You know, one person on my guild, we were getting ready to fight this monster and she got triggered by a rape thing. And she was like expressing it to her guild. And they were like, let's all slay this monster. Like it's a rapist. Like, let's make this cathartic. And I was like, that is brilliant. Right? It's amazing. And then, and then people go like, I don't need any proof that the video games heal me. I know they did. Yeah, they, That that's... connection, that release of energy, giving and receiving like... Yeah. And also finding the safe space for your mom that she felt like, okay, I don't want to burden yes. the people in my life with what I'm going through. Yeah. But I log into this video game. And I can and share. It's safe for me. I can share with these people. And then when I turn off my video game... Then it's gone. And you know what? People used to share with her all the time. Mm -hmm. But then once she became sick, people are like, I don't want to burden her with this. Mm -hmm. So then she, I could feel, you know, she would, she can decide if this is true or not. But I, I would guess I felt a little energy of my mother's so nurturing. So caring to everyone around her. And then, you know, thankfully I'm glad people stopped offloading stuff on her because she had cancer and had enough to deal with. But I think there was a part of her that was like, that's how I serve my community and my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. And then in the game, 
she could be supportive again. You know, she could be active. She could be helping accomplish tasks or they could express their feelings to her mm -hmm. and she could give that emotional support. And they weren't looking at her like, Oh, you're a weak cancer patient. They were looking at her like you're a dope ass mage, you know, yeah. like you're just a sick elf, you know? <laughs> and I don't even know what a dope ass mage is, but I think it sounds good. Dope ass mage, man. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, I just really had all that research and knowledge in the back of my mind before I went into the mushroom trip. And then I communicated with the divine in a language I could understand because they're all of a sudden able to get like way more information to you at once. So then you're learning from like information downloads, you know, sound, what you're looking at, blah, blah, blah. And they showed me the matrix. Why was I always obsessed with the movie, the matrix? Why have I seen it a billion times? Oh my God, me too. I was studying it because it's such a great metaphor for unlocking out of your, we're all the one, everybody's Neo, but we're also all Trinity. We're also Morpheus and we are the agents. And that's, what's great because we can overcome anything. And that's how you fly. You know, like Neo literally dives into the agent, becomes one with him, becomes one with his baddies. Now he can fly to space. The movie's over. We're into the sequel. And then people didn't like that sequel. And we've been living a sequel that we didn't like. I, for one, loved that sequel. I think people just didn't take it like the medicine it was. Because the first time, when I wasn't awake, hated the movie. Now that I'm awake, love it. So I highly recommend people re-watching those movies and asking, why don't you love it? Like, I love film. Yeah. But there was a Star Wars movie that had this side quest where they go to this casino island and there's all this dumb shit happening over there. And it felt like they're just trying to sell toys. They're just doing a side quest. There was a MacGuffin. Nobody even needed to be on that <laughs> island. What am I doing on this island for 45 minutes, Ryan Johnson? And then I asked myself, because I love Ryan Johnson, why am I so angry? Why am I so angry about the Star Wars nerd? Am I like... A 54-year-old white guy who lives in a basement. What's happening right now? I mean, now? you are because it's... <laughs> Star Wars fans are very famous for being mad about I know. new Star Wars movies. But I was like, <laughs> why am I so upset? Because I'm not that Star Wars fan. Okay. And then I meditated on it. It was the side quest. So many times in my life, I've been taking side quests. Mm -hmm. Chasing my fear. Chasing something I don't need. And that'll keep you off you over there for like five years, Odysseus. You know, you always learn stuff. And then you get back on your path. But now that I'm aware... Of when I'm being called to a side quest, I can avoid them more mm. often, you know? Yeah. Can I and, ask you? Yeah. Um, how to get back on your path. I think that's like a really good yeah. thought. So I always ask my guests, like, what is a hot tip? Hot tip. A hot tip. Hot tip. Hot tip. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, great singers over here. We're great. Uh, so what is a hot tip? So basically if you have a bad day, um, when you realize that and you want to change that energy, you want to choose a different path. Okay. I'm going to share with you a newer tactic I've been using. Mm -hmm. I find it very useful to always be leveling up your tools. Once you feel like you've plateaued, get rid of all of them. Like even if I have a tarot deck that I love, I will gift it to a friend because I'm like, I have learned what I need from you master. And now I shall integrate new tools. Yes. So a lot of my tools just take place on the inside and are visuals sure. or energy related. One of them is using my different mech suits. So I have this like warrior princess. It's like rainbow bright, but like a badass, you know, mm -hmm. kind of queer rock star character. And inside of my inner plane, 
you know, she has this sort of love that can cut through things. Mm-hmm. And when she cuts through things, it doesn't kill it. It makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. It transforms it into the version of itself it really wants to be. Mm-hmm. So one of the tactics I learned from failing to overcome the negative demon dragon, you know, uh, trying all these different tactics, I finally got to the place where I just like turn and I look at my dragon and I create something. I manifest it. I will be like, you know, what is this? What would a metaphor of this monster look like in my mind? I'm going to create a character. I'm going to sit across from it right now. I'm going to imagine having a conversation with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to put it on my show. Like, hey, why are you nagging at me? Do we want that to be true? You know, like, oh no, what if it's cancer, right? Do we want that to be true? Do we? No, no, I don't want that to be true. Then why are we thinking about it? Let's learn from this. What do we want then? What do we want? I want the opposite of that. Okay. What's the polar opposite of that? Then I ask myself that question. Mm -hmm. That's alchemy. I'll get the answer. Once you let go of your awareness of the problem and you trust that you can get the answer immediate. Also, I always believe that my happiness is one thought away. I truly believe that. So believing that it's easy to shift back to center is like half the battle. Yeah, believing, believing that, that you can. Because if you believe that it's hard, yes. it will be hard. And then I think what the reason I'm not about religion, I always tell people, make your own religion. is like, come up with your own tools. When you hear somebody say, this is how I get back to center, say, oh, how could I make that? Like when you're going to make your own version of macaroni and cheese, but you love bacon. So put bacon in your cheese, you know? Sure. I feel like it's the same thing with spiritual tools. So... For me, I tried that alchemy thing happened when my van got broken into Mm -hmm. and I was terrified I was going to get raped and murdered again Mm because I've already been robbed. I've already been raped Mm -hmm. and I'd been raped twice. And I was like, am I three times a charm? I had noticed that I'd been circling back on patterns. And when I moved into my van, I got all this bounce back of people, women being like, oh, you live in a van? Don't get raped. And I'd be like, please don't. Yeah. Put that idea in my mind. Yes. For people listening, this van is not just like a van. It is, you call it the space bus. It's space bus. It's a VW bus. It's decorated so cute inside. It's so cozy. It feels so safe. It's not like you're in some windowless, creepy van. No. You know? So that's a thought we're putting on you. But it is a 73. They're really easy to break into because, you know, if you're a burglar, you kind of... Sure you know, could be an easy target. So because I was aware that I had some of that fear, I could never sleep in the van in the city. I wasn't ever in the city much anyway. Mm -hmm. So when I had to be in the city for meetings, I would just like crash on a friend's couch. And then I had these like big meetings and I could feel that it was going to be important for me to let go of my fear to bring my best self to these meetings. Mm -hmm. So I set an intention at the time I was using LSD as medicine, a microdose, and I set music to Lucid Dream 2. And I told my friend who normally I was sleeping on the couch, I was like, I'm going to park out in front of your place. And I'm going to practice sleeping fearlessly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let go of this fear. Because if I truly believe what I'm saying, then I got to put this into practice. I don't, what if, if I'm, if I believe that following your bliss is the only thing you have to do, mm-hmm. that's it. Then I got to put that into belief. So I said, my bliss in this moment, I don't want to sleep on your couch, man. I didn't like his couch. My van is so much com- more comfortable. It's comfortable. And you, you wanted to 
sleep fearlessly. You wanted to prove to yourself that you could do that. And it's like, why would I settle for a less enjoyable experience because I have fear of a future, which I know doesn't exist. That's just an idea. Mm-hmm. I'm creating my future. So whatever I think about my future is what my future is because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. I'm never in it. I'm always in the now. Yeah, but you're creating it. But you're creating it. So if I, if I was going to really practice, if I'm going to sit here and say that we can live completely without fear or struggle, then I need to actually be living that. I just need to be being that. And then... So how was it for you, like, sleeping out in that van? So so I turn on my lucid dreaming, I microdose acid, and I set the intention. I say, spirit, during my lucid dreams, go shift a bunch of dimensions, play the levels so I can wake up fearless, ready to crush it this week. 11.30 at night, I hear a click, and my door is opening. And somebody is breaking in. And I was trying to get over this fear thing, so I put my knife that I normally sleep with in my glove box. My iPhone was up on the dash and I immediately, because I am in a lucid dreaming state, I, I wasn't sure. I've I'm been, so afraid for you right now. I've literally... been making my mantra <laughs> had literally been the dream is my reality. The dream is my reality. I wanted to feel the connection between my dream space and my awake space. I wanted to understand when people say we're always dreaming. I wanted to understand that and feel that energy. Wait, okay, sorry, sorry. What happened next? Dreams. I can't. I'm like on the edge of my seat. So he cracks in and I immediately get these floods of images and they feel real. I see myself get raped, murdered, robbed. It's quick. And I'm going, oh my God, how embarrassing. I can't believe that I created this. Of course I'm getting raped again. I totally see. And I'm slowing it down. Like he's moving into my car, but it's like Neo. It's bullet time. It's moving so, the bullets are moving so slow. Yeah. My thoughts are moving through me. I can see his thoughts. I can see how we are co-creating this. I'm so afraid. So he's going to step in and play the role that I am creating for him to play. So he opens the door and then what? And then all those visions happen. A voice says, is that what you want? And I say, no. Mm-hmm. He says, what do you want? And I said, I want the opposite of that. And she said, you better come up with something fast. And I go, the best thing I could come up with was he's a friend. He's a friend. He's, busy. he's a friend. He's a friend. And I believe that. And I flip my lights on and I smile and I say, hi, what are you doing in my van? Cause if he's my friend, that's how I would greet my friend. Wow. And I do it genuinely. And I shift to that energy. And I've dated enough sociopaths to understand that we human beings our instruments, and we are choosing our feelings. I if say, you wait, slow it down, I gotta right? pause this. Yeah, because that it takes a lot of inner work and a lot of strength. I don't know if I could sit in a van or in any place that had just been broken into, flip on the lights, and go, "Hey, what are you doing here? How are you?" I don't know. If Katie, I could be like that. That's I had so to fearless. witness my own death. I had to fully believe that that reality where I saw myself die was real. And what was his response? Was he totally like, and what, that's not what he would expect, of course. He was caught off guard and then he looks me dead in the eye. And this, thanks to the LSD at the time, was the first time I had really started to have a psychic connection with someone else. Okay. We were co-creating a plane of like, like co-writing a movie mm-hmm. and then we were living in one and we were slowly and I could feel I was on the edge Katie it was right on the edge of the line of life and death I could feel that if I my demons Jesus said get behind me devil 
And Wayne Brady said, when I rap, I keep fear behind me like an engine. Sure. So if fear is in the room in these kind of situations, if you put it behind you and you refuse to look at it and it can kick and scream and make all the noise that it wants, but you stay in your knowing, you stay in the light, you know that you are light and that you are always protected. Mm -hmm. I had been told that that was true, that you could get through anything with that. And in that moment, I had no other choice but to fully fucking believe it. And nothing pushes you off the edge of belief, right? So he's thrown off guard. So Does he say anything here, to you? He's thrown off guard and he's like, oh, hey, I just felt like I was supposed to come over here. And I can feel that he's like, do we want to live in the dimension where that's real or do we not? And I go, I'm going to choose to believe this. So you hung out with him. And I say, I say, hey, if your heart called you over to this van and that's really how you feel, then I'm going to choose to believe you. You sort of came into my van and it's, I was sleeping. Mm -hmm. So I'm in this position right now where I am choosing that you're a soul teammate. I think I was always supposed to meet you. Wow. And I think... I would like to offer you a bowl of weed. I was like, I would like to pack a bowl. This was kind of like me trying to think of what, right? Well, you were in survival mode. I've actually heard mm -hmm. this from other sexual assault survivors yeah. who have said um, they were improvising. They were offering. They were figuring out yes. how to negotiate with yes. the aggressor to not make them their friend necessarily, but... Connect with them on a different level instead of Not, playing it's out like this when victim you're around mentality. a wild animal. Yeah. If you show fear, if you let that energy through, I could see that he was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, if she gets afraid, I'm going to have to kill her. So I would get these visions sure. where like I would start to express fear and then I would get a vision of him choking me out. And then I would immediately let that vision go and go, he's a friend. He's a friend. I would tell myself that. So did he smoke weed with you? He smoked weed with me. Wow. Here's, I mean, it's crazy, Katie, because then I drop this glass pipe. It's broken. Okay. I accidentally cut my thumb on it and he go, and I don't have any band-aids. Mm -hmm. I honestly didn't have any band-aids in my van, Katie, because I took all the products out of my van that were fear-based. I was like, band-aids are expecting the worst. Also, I'll always be in a place where I can get it. I want to feel what it just feels like to travel without any fear-based things, right? Okay. So it was just my own practice. Yeah. So I didn't have any Band-Aids. Guess what he has in his backpack? Band-Aids? He's got a first aid kit. And in his backpack is spray paint. He's been... He had a skateboard and a spray paint. And he was out with his friends tagging. Okay. You know? And he's like, I was skateboarding back to my friend's house. But I saw this van earlier. And I felt compelled to come by. And then I felt compelled to come by now. And I go, I know, but you know what the weird thing is? Is that you didn't knock. You just opened the door. Mm. Now, here's the crazier thing. I'm taking responsibility for that, too. Because I went to go lock the doors that night. And I said, I'm not even going to lock the doors. Because if somebody wants to break in, they can just get in. And I left those doors open, Katie. So he didn't knock, but he also didn't technically break in. He opened the door, which is still technically not his property, but I was locked in because my van door, like even now saying this could be vulnerable, but my van door is broken. You can't open it from the inside. So when he's in the front, I'm trapped. I can't get out, you know? And so I was forced, pushed to the edge of full surrender. Do you want to die or do you want to change the way you create your reality right now? 
Mm-hmm. And my whole life, I've kind of pushed myself to extreme situations before I like really change. Mm-hmm. That's a habit I want to break. That's a habit I've broken. I'm breaking it. But so, so he gets you the band-aids. So Is he, he like me playing the nurse with you? He gets me the band-aid and he goes, Hey, I don't want you to be afraid of me. I am consciously seeing everything that you're thinking. I know there's a part of you who's afraid of me and I want you to know I'm not here to hurt you. I think you might have some trauma. I think I might have some trauma. Then I start for the first time channeling Gaia. Mm -hmm. I start channeling Mother Mary. I start channeling Gaia. We work through his trauma. He tells me about some gay experiences he had, Mm -hmm. how he's got all the shame over it, you know, and then he's got a baby that he's like so afraid he's going to be a terrible dad for, Mm -hmm. you know, because his dad was bad and he doesn't want to repeat the same patterns. But also it's like he feels like such a loser. He doesn't want his baby to have to be around him. And then when he was like expressing this gay trauma stuff, I saw myself. Because you had experienced so much shame around your queer when identity. he had this like baby thing, I had my documentary. Yeah. You know, like I had, uh, he was not me, but he was me. And I told him while I was channeling, like my spirit came through me so that I could hear myself say, you are my shadow. And my practice is to not judge anything that you are doing, not breaking into my van. Not anything you've told me. Uh, my practice is to love you unconditionally like you are me mm-hmm. because you are here to help me heal my shadow because isn't that exactly what I set the intention for? And my spirit said, we can tell you how to change all you want, but in this game, you have to have an experience. This is an experience-based game. We want you to have an experience. But then I chose, you know, Bruce Lee says there's two ways to grow. Satori, Kensho. Kensho, growing through pain, breakups, somebody coming into your van, terrifying you. So you're staying on the, at that consciousness level where you're in the space of, I'm gonna, I might die, I might die, I might die. That is actually a portal to all possibilities. Because if you think that you're dead, you feel powerful, right? Because you got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. And that's where my life had pushed me several times. Van life was like, I got nothing to lose. I'm fucking, my family, when I told my mom I did mushrooms, she was like, you know, judge me so hard, really push me away. But I knew it was part of my journey. I was like, I needed you guys to push me away because I was really making life choices of my own healing choices. I wasn't like opening up to weed or anything like that because I was so afraid. Well, it is healing. It is healing. I mean, I've, I've used mushrooms in my own life, maybe once a year, if that, as it is a healing practice and Mm. it is grounding. It brings you back to the earth and it brings you back to what's true. And every time that I will have them, which is not very often, like less than one hand, I can even count that I've done them, but you remember it because right. it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And what I always remember is this feeling, everything's fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Everything that's going on in your life right now, and that's how it's, it's all going to resolve itself. To be. It's right. Always but it's easy to, to forget that when you get caught Isn't up. Isn't it funny that you go, oh yeah, you're always supposed to be at ease. And all the word dis-ease is, is when not being at ease. And I think we as a total culture mm-hmm. forgot that what is normal is to always be at ease. Mm-hmm. To always be relaxed. Yeah. Like when you're in New York, friends are like, what do you do in the desert? It's like, we relax. We be. Yeah. I was trying to explain to someone recently who had never been to Joshua Tree and she's been living in New York for 15 years. A friend of mine is uh, now hanging out in LA during quarantine. And I told her I was coming out to Joshua Tree and she's like, well, what do you do out there? And I was like, well, it's not about what you do. It's about what you don't do. Beautiful. You're here to yeah. relax, to do 
less. Yeah. And I find that when I come out here, it's a very spiritual place for me. It's a very special place. Not just because I made a film out here, but just other experiences I've had. Even while sober out here, it's not about just doing drugs. It's about that there's so much space here and there's so much less things. Like it's not like going to a forest where there are a lot of trees surrounding you. When you're in the desert, there are a lot of things that can't live in the desert. So mm-hmm. it's just open. It's space. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like that is a place where it's a clean slate. Mm-hmm. You can breathe. Yes. And that's what I get. I get a reset every time I come out here. I love that I feel like I am breathing in the light out here. I feel like I'm breathing in the heat. Like the sun is so bright. You Mm -hmm. can't help but feel like you're becoming one with it. You're absorbing it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's why I was saying that that pastor guy told me that in the Bible, Jesus said they went to the desert and disintegrated. And I was like, yeah, the desert kind of does that. It's so hot. It dries you out from the inside out. Mm -hmm. But also when you look at your body being a metaphor for what your thoughts are, disintegration, like letting go of all those beliefs that don't deserve and making space for that being like, I'm going to the desert and I'm going to heal, like making space for that in your life. I love that we as a culture more are going, yeah, I'm make, I, I've seen in the future that our insurance pays for like you to go to the spa or to go to Joshua tree and have a chill last time because that's preventative medicine. Yeah. And, and what a world if we all like really adopted, my sister's a firefighter, right? For years, she's been trying to get our government to spend more money on preventative fire science. She's like, there's so many things we don't do. We don't put money into it because they say, well, we're out of money because the fires cost so much. But she's done the numbers and she's like, look how much money you would save if you would put a little more effort into the preventative. And I just look at that as like, oh, as a consciousness, you can see where preventative medicine isn't something we prioritize. But it's starting. I want to ask you, is there anything else that you want to say to my listeners out there? Anybody who might be struggling, especially during this time, Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety, they're in a dark place, or even maybe they're starting to discover the light and they're not sure what to do with that. Do you have any words of wisdom for people out there hiking through these times? (sighs) This is going to be like a big, broad stroke, but I think it is important. Um... Hashtag normalize miracles. I want everybody to know that they are worthy and deserving and can receive a miracle right now, no matter how big, no matter what they need, whether it's healing, their planet healing, whatever. It's like we have sort of created this mythos around miracles, like they're few and far between. And it's like, no, they're not. My doctor said you healed your whole body. Mm -hmm. Because after that mushroom trip, I devoted myself to healing my period and my uterus. They said it was impossible. I healed it in less than a year. Mm -hmm. Right? So normalize miracles. Normalize miracles. You're worthy of it because you know what? They don't cost a thing. Mm. They don't cost nothing except for you to believe that you're worthy of one. Yeah. Because that's beautiful. That's one one belief away and it doesn't... You don't have to be a religion. You don't have to be anything. You just have to believe that like, you know what? The world is going to work out for you. That you came here to have a good time Mm. and it's your turn. All right. I'm going to get end there. I can't get better than that. It's your turn. It's your turn. Be the light. You're in it. Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Andy. That's beautiful. Thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you loved it as much as I loved doing it. It was 
really incredible to finally be able to interview someone in the same room. What a privilege. And I don't know when I'll be able to do that again because it's COVID season and I do want to keep people safe. So if you want to learn more about the things we talked about, whether that's psychedelic mushrooms or the show Wizards, Tales of Arcadia that Andy is writing on, all of those resources will be on cryingbehindpod.com. That's where I post all the episode guides. If you want to find me, I'm at Katie Doll on all the things, K-A-T-Y-D-O-L-L-E, or at cryingbehindpod is where we have our Instagram, Twitter, etc. for the show. Please just subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> and is the past tense of subscribing subscribe? I don't know. Either way, I would love for you to subscribe or follow, rate, review this podcast, share it with a friend who might be struggling out there. And because I, I just want to get this out there to so many more people. I want to shine a light on these issues and make people feel less alone. So let's get let's get on that. Let's do that. I'm just I'm so passionate about this stuff and I want people to feel better because I also want to feel better. So next time you're sad, just throw on your sunglasses, take a walk outside, and remember, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. Yippee, yippee, yippee.